Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. Because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from. Some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy. So we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. In the week that saw Jamie Lang become a Bobby on the beat, an epic solo win against the Vixen on the chase, and Olivia Coleman give another trademark cute speech, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullymore from the TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hiya, Jeffers. Hey, Emma, how's it going? Good, thank you. Well, on this week's episode of the podcast dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand. Dan Walker from BBC Breakfast will join us to talk about his comic relief Kilimanjaro challenge. We'll be talking about the latest Netflix sensations and friend of the show Derma O'Leary shares his box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Hiya, Jeffers. How are you doing? Yeah, good. You all right? Yeah, good, thank you. Is it lots of telly? I mean, sometimes January, February is a bit of a dearth month, but there's loads going on at the moment. Yeah, we've there's quite a few dramas on at the moment, but also the reality TV shows are pretty good. I think Dance on Ice has been, been really good. The GC has left the building. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised. I really thought it was going to be one of the others. She hasn't been in the bottom two before. She was in there with Ryan Sidebottom, the cricketer, and obviously straight in the bottom two, straight out, she's not going to survive with the lack of technique, the lack of skating she's got. And a skate-off was, was sort of a joke, really. She she barely moved from the centre of the ice. But <laughs> Well, she said, oh, I haven't practised that one in weeks, so she was just totally unprepared. I do think it's a bit of a worry for the show, though. It's She's a big presence. She's very much a Marmite character. We've definitely had some readers at the Mirror saying um, they almost don't watch it because she's on there and they can watch it again now. But I also think she's obviously attracting a, a decent level of viewers because she is on there. So it's going to be very interesting to see... Uh, where the show goes now, I suppose, because it's going to be a little bit serious from now on in. Well, no offence to Ryan, who was in the bottom two with her, but no one's watching it for him, whereas there are people watching for the GC. So I bet for the show they were thinking, oh, you know, that's not really that great for us. I think there's also sort of some hope amongst some people that perhaps she was going to start training a bit hard and there was going to be this big transformation. I know when she's, she talked on this morning this week, she's saying she lost two and a half stone and it, it did make a big difference, but... She was a long way behind the, the rest of the pack, really, in terms of the actual skills and in terms of the actual skating. So She was pretty defeated, wasn't she? She just kind of said, yeah, I agree. It's my time to go. <laughs> there was no suspense whatsoever. I mean, she has had a lot of abuse on sort of Twitter and social media and stuff. So I guess in that sense, it might be a bit of a relief for her to sort of be able to move on as well. And of course, last Friday night, we saw Eurovision, You Decide. We plucked our hopeful 
from obscurity, well, not obscurity, from... Well, no, not quite obscurity. Not quite obscurity uh, to be sent to Tel Aviv. This is Michael Rice, who won all together now and is going to Israel with Bigger Than Us. What did you think? I didn't mind the song. The outfit he was wearing was pretty bad. <laughs> I, I, I quite like to comment on the fashion, the yeah, terrible suit and that, but the song itself is okay. It's, it's, it doesn't strike me as a winner. It's got a key change, which is always a bit worrying. Um <laughs> And, Worrying? Westlife made a whole career out of that. Well, true. But to be honest, so far anyway, vocally, I hope he's going to improve. He, he's been talking about being slightly out of key for, for one of the performances that he's done already, blaming it on his, uh, some new equipment that he's using. And I hope he will improve. I know last year with Suri, I think her song, she managed to sort of make it bigger and better the closer we got to Eurovision. And uh, I hope it's going to be the same for him. It's going to be May the 18th in Tel Aviv. And uh, yeah, the song's bigger than us. And hopefully it's bigger than you and me when it comes to the voting, because otherwise uh, we haven't got much hope, I don't think. We need some sort of miracle now, don't we, in, in order to win. Given our sort of status in Europe, it, that doesn't help either. I mean, we, what we need some sort of miracle. What do you, what do you think My miracle is a super group. I want Adele on lead vocals. Okay. Then Sheeran writing and maybe backing vocals. McCartney on guitar. Right. And then Brian May, last minute, kind of like proper guitar, full on. And if we don't win with that, I'll give up. Then we should withdraw all our money and stop. I mean, I think if you can arrange that, we can put in a few calls. <laughs> and uh, I think the BBC would take you up on that. Do you think? Um, okay. We are sort of a slightly down the level. But, you know, he's been on X Factor in 2014. And obviously, as you say, he did win all together now. So he's not a complete nobody, but he's a 21-year-old. He won't be known in Europe. So there's a lot of work for him to do between now and May. Basically, he has to tour around Europe promoting the song, do lots of PAs and and keep his fingers crossed. But yeah, I think I think he's got an uphill battle. Oh, go on, Michael. We're behind you Yeah, anyway. good luck. Right then, let's have a look ahead to what's new on the box this week. Starting with my favourite, Joe Lycett. Love him. He's taking over presenting of the Great British Sewing Bee. I've actually seen episodes one to three. Getting Quite you. into it, yeah. How do you reckon he's going to do? You've seen this, the first episode, right? I've seen the first episode, yeah. It's going to be Tuesday nights on BBC Two at nine o'clock. Um, and yeah, he's, I think he's doing pretty well. I think there would have been some concerns amongst some people with him taking over. He's taken over from Claudia Winkleman. They are big shoes to fill aren't they but also the show hasn't been on for a couple of years and the people that like it I think they really like it there was a petition to get it back and so I think in that sense there's a captive audience there but but I think he plays it quite well he he seems like a safe pair of hands it's quite a gentle program perhaps not something that I would necessarily watch but it reminds me of sort of Bake Off in the BBC Two days It's, it's it's quite soft it's quite fun obviously it's from the same company that make Bake Off so you've got a similar sort of format and yeah, I think Joe's quite funny. He's, he's very positive. It's, it's a very easy watch, isn't it, really? Yeah, and he's very, as Claudia was, you know, they look after the contestants and it's not about a massive grudge match. It's, you know, it's a very gentle competition. And I know nothing about sewing, but it does. It makes me think, oh, you know, I, I, it is quite cool that you can take a piece of fabric and turn it into this fabulous outfit. Unfortunately, unlike Bake Off, I feel the likelihood of me being able to actually achieve anything is significantly lower. But I still think it's entertaining telly. Well, some of the creations on there were incredible, yeah. If only it was as easy as baking a cake, I probably would uh, yeah, be buying a sewing machine myself. There's a guy, I think, on those made a leather jacket out of an old sofa. And I mean, that yeah. That is madness. It, like, how it, can people do that? It sounds crazy, but I mean, it did look pretty good. And uh, yeah, the outfits on there, I think the first episode, we've got a wiggle dress that they all have to make, which I didn't really know what that was. But the sort of end results are quite quite interesting, quite exciting to, to look at. 
Yeah, well, I think we can agree, especially if you love sewing, but even if you don't, it's a, it's a good shout. So yeah, it's, it's a lo- nice bit of telly. A nice sort of gentle midweek watch, I would say. But something I think is going to divide opinions a little bit more is famous and fighting crime on Channel 4, Monday nights. What do you make of this? This is celebs being special constables. There's a real mixture, this show, because you've got a variety of celebrities sort of taking part, and it's, it's a serious aspect. You know, it's policing, it's they're on the front line, they're with other volunteers... First of all, I was amazed at the seriousness of the crimes that these volunteers are getting involved in. You know, they are chasing people down the street that have robbed places. There's cases of assault in a pub and they're involved as much as a, a normal policeman or woman would be. So that's quite surprising. And then you've got the celebrities who sort of deal with it and go through the process, I guess, in a variety of ways. You've got Penny Lancaster. She's in tears in training before they've even got out on the road and she's not as hands-on as someone else, like someone like Jamie Lang, who I think he honestly seems to think it's like a computer game or something. <laughs> He's there sort of listening in on the CBs, on the walkie-talkies for the reports and finds out they're chasing someone, you know, they've got to try and find someone that's for an alleged assault and he runs off and he's overtaking the other volunteers and getting involved <laughs> and you can see the adrenaline, his eyes are almost popping out of his head. It's interesting TV. The only thing I would say is there's not much explanation as to how you go about the full training or the process in terms of how they integrate with normal police and how they check people in. And there's not much of the serious aspects of police. And it very much seems to be, look at all these celebs out on the out on the road and there's not any of the sort of hard information. And I, I guess I would like a bit more of that. What, what did you think? I very much enjoyed Penny Lancaster having, what is it, her first ever KFC? Yeah, I that mean, was good. That's, that's earth-shattering information as far as I'm concerned. But I, I, I think what's interesting about it is looking at the role of special constables. Because mm. I think... In the, the same way as the TA is handled in the office, I think special constables are often a bit of a laughing stock. And I'm not saying that's right, but I think that's Definitely. how they're treated. But when you see them in the show, you see that they are doing things that any other police officer would do. Hopefully, I would have thought with more training, like you say, than you actually see on the show. The way it comes across is if they have a day with a scary person pretending to be a criminal and then they're out on the street. I don't, I'm very cynical with this kind of stuff. I'm like, really? Are they really in danger? But it does look like they are. You know, Penny Lancaster is running after someone who's threatening to pull a needle on her. And I think I believe it. Yeah, I, f- I felt they definitely skimmed through the training part. Otherwise, um, you know, we could probably go and uh, do a bit of training uh, tonight and then sort of be out, be out on the streets as a, as a volunteer policeman tomorrow. And I, I don't think it can be that simple. But I guess from, from Channel 4's point of view, the the reason people are going to watch and, uh, you know, the reason I guess they're filming is for the action part it is when the celebs are out there on the beat. As you say, um, there's Penny, you know, straight away being threatened to be stabbed with a needle, which is... Obviously, quite a shocking image. You've got Jamie Lang, as I said, rescuing uh, someone who's, who's been assaulted, and then you've also got Katie Piper in another episode, and they're you know saving people from a fire. So there's there's all a lot of aspects of policing in there, and I think they're obviously keen to show the sort of almost the reality show aspect, I suppose. From Channel 4's point of view, it's like celebrities almost playing at policemen. But it is a very serious thing. These are real incidents taking place, aren't they? And it's interesting in terms of challenging opinions about the police. Both Sandy from Gogglebox and also Marcus Bridgestock both seem to have very low opinion of the police force. You know, he says that most people in London think they're racist. That's his opinion. And Sandy says growing up in Brixton, you didn't have that much faith in the police or much respect for them. So I think across the course of this series, that's really going to start to change as they see the things that these police officers come up against. I think that's a really good point that you don't see a great deal of that in in the opener. But I think particularly with Sandy, she's very reticent. Almost she says in terms of taking on the show and, and taking part, and it'll be interesting to see at the end of the series what her perception is of the police then. She thinks she's the, particularly the one that 
you know, her, her mind may be changed in terms of what they do and how hard their job is perhaps as well. And we must have a word about MasterChef. Back for Series 15, cooking doesn't get tougher than this, all of that. This show is so madly popular. Do you watch it? I do watch it. I don't watch every episode. I think you can sort of uh, dip in and out of this one. And it's just a it's just a bulletproof format, really. And I think a lot of people like cooking shows. And, and this is probably the best one that's on TV. But I mean, in a way, it's really repetitive. But people look forward to it. People set it on their, you know, recorder thing. So they don't miss out an episode. I just, I quite like it if it's on, I'll watch it. But it's stuff that I would never cook myself, like a crumb which is now a thing or a foam or you know it's not like here's your bolognese i think people like the contrast between john who's i would say especially as a proper chef and then you've got greg who just sounds like loves he, you know, desserts uh, loves desserts sounds like he probably should be working in your local pub or your local cafe don't he? you know whenever i watch it he seems to just pretty much copy what john says <laughs> um it's sort of slightly different language but you say that people uh record it in series link it and I think it's like, say, with you, with Strictly, people who like it, they just they just like to watch it again and again. They don't mind that it's the same same food, it's the same format. They just like that format and they like. I guess they like to see what comes out at the end. I suppose like in a way that when I watch the 50th Grand Designs and to see what the house is at the end, it's that same sort of thing. It's the same process every week or every episode, but people just like that format and so they Hang watch on. it again and again. Are you a closet Grand Designs fan? I love Grand Designs. Are you series-linked yeah, yeah. Grand Designs? What is wrong with you? you I thought st- I knew you. I mean, I, I, it's the it's the ultimate dream to design your own house. I think. I, yeah. I, I mean. What? Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> You're insane. <laughs> So we've discussed Catastrophe before on the podcast. We're both big fans. And the show is never shy of a celebrity cameo. Lots of famous faces want to be on the show. Obviously, the late, great Carrie Fisher starred as Rob's mum. And last week, we saw big, big cameo. In fact, Mr. Big from Sex and the City popped up, Chris Noth himself. So my big question to you this week, Jeffers, is this. What's your fave celebrity cameo in TV history? Well, as usual, I thought of a few things. A couple of soap ones came to mind. Robbie Williams in EastEnders. That was... When did that, hang on, when did that happen? So that was 1995. It's quite a brief cameo. I he was, was very young then. He was on the phone in the Queen Vic, just sort of talking in the background. Couldn't even hear what he said. Maybe not a memorable cameo to everyone, but I remember it quite well. You've also got Peter Kay in Coronation Street, a bit more memorable. Went out on a couple of dates with uh, Sally Lindsay's character. I went a bit deeper in my research. Bruce Forsyth was in Magnum P.I. in 1986. Who did he play? Was he a suspect? I've got no more detail than oh, that. Oh, man. I, I, my, it wasn't that detailed. My, Classic my tabloids. And June Whitfield was in Friends. What? On the phone, the uh, episode in London. Apparently she was she was in it briefly. But I'm going to cheat a bit. My, my ultimate answer is the Queen. And uh, the Queen was in the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony. She had a cameo alongside Daniel Craig. Yes, in she the did. Opening. And I thought that was a brilliant scene. I really enjoyed it. And then obviously we were supposed to think she parachuted down and it wasn't her, clearly. But the first bit was actually the Queen and they had to get special permission to do that. And I thought that was, yeah, you're not going to top that. That's the best cameo ever. I think she was slightly upstaged by her corgis, though. They were brilliant. That's what I remember from it. Trotting along with uh, by the side of Daniel Craig. Dear listener, you just missed Jeffers doing an impression of a corgi, which has to be put on some kind of webcam later. <laughs> um, yeah, my favourite. Did you watch Parks and Rec? I loved Parks and Rec. Omi Polar pays Leslie Nope, who is this local government official, um, and she dreams about meeting Joe Biden. She idolises him. She has pictures of him. 
And then one day she meets the actual Joe Biden. That's very wow. cool. Also, okay. Michelle Obama's in it because it sort of operates in that political world and it was a very cool show, so people wanted to be on it. That's my favourite. My least favourite is actually from Sex and the City when Jerry Halliwell pops up. I mean, people say she can't sing. She definitely can't act. I mean, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. <laughs> I mean, I love the Spice Girls. I love Sex and the City. But together, bad, bad times. You're listening to Series Linked. Coming up, Derma O'Leary tells us his box set to watch before you die. Plus, up next, Dan Walker from BBC Breakfast. When you buy clothes from Balkan, you're not buying from just another online retailer. You're buying from a five-star rated brand. Fit and quality is at the heart of everything we do. And you're not buying throwaway fashion either. You're buying meticulously crafted, elegant pieces that you'll love forever. Our collections are defined by foundational pieces infused with timeless essentials and relevant trends. Marie Claire described our collections as everyday designs with a cool fashion edge. And The Telegraph said, If you're after a perfectly pulled-together, paired-back capsule wardrobe, then Balkan is your go-to. Right now, you can enjoy a little luxury for less in our end-of-season sale. And with free delivery and returns when you spend £59, there's never been a better time to try us. In fact, the only difficult bit is spelling our name. Balkan. B-A-U-K-J-E-N. Find us at Balkan.com. That's B-A-U-K-J-E-N.com. So we've got a friend on the line today. We see him every morning on BBC Breakfast. And now he's going off to climb Kilimanjaro for comic relief. It's Dan Walker. Hi, Dan. Hello, everybody. Is everything all right? Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right actually. I've um, I've just been um, just been on one of them treadmill things, uh, walking at full incline to prepare myself for Kilimanjaro. It's just such a challenge. Did you think twice before signing up for this, or were you immediately keen? Uh, I was immediately keen, um, and then you know it's one of those things. You sort of yeah, Kilimanjaro. I'll do that. Definitely raising money for comic relief. And then they sort of sit down and they tell you that only 65% of people who tried it in the last year actually made it to the top. And then they tell you about all the people who think, well, you only have to walk up Kilimanjaro. What can be tough about that? But mm. Then you remember that documentary from 10 years ago with Gary Barlow and all his pals who did it, and you see how hard they found it. And I think if you underestimate it, then you're pretty likely to end up with altitude sickness and get hiked off the mountain. So I'm taking it seriously. I'm fully in the uh, Kilimanjaro zone. And tell us a bit more about the training, because you put a picture on Twitter the other day and you looked a little bit like sort of Henry the Hoover. You kind of had this red mask <laughs> on and like a plastic, I presume some sort of breathing apparatus, but what, what sort of stuff's involved in the training? Essentially, been some very nice people have sort of said the best way to prepare for it is to, is to check how your body operates at a lower level of oxygen. So essentially, if I can get this right, at the top of Kilimanjaro, there's about 10% oxygen in the air that you breathe um, and normal is just over 20. So... You can imagine that your body then has to regulate that and react to that. So what this machine does is it sort of tricks your body by uh, reducing the oxygen you're, you're sucking in gently. It's really weird sensation, Mark, you sit on a chair, right, a lazy boy, and yet your heart and your lungs are working like the clappers because they're reacting to the fact that you're breathing in less and less oxygen. So you're actually doing a 
it's, it could be the future of exercise. You're doing a proper workout, but you're sat on a lazy boy. <laughs> and and then it, then they sort of study the data and it tells you how you react to that altitude and you know whether, you, whether you're going to struggle at the top of Kilimanjaro. And I think the thing is, everybody struggles to some extent. You, know, you might get sick or you might feel ill, dizzy. Um, what, you, what you hope is that you don't get to the stage where, as many people do, you have to get carted off the mountain. I think that's the worry. And I guess it's all about staying calm. Do you think you're good at that or do you think you're prone to panicking in situations like this? I'm not a panicker. Um, I don't think I am anyway. The only thing I can... I know this is a stupid um, thing to go back to, but when I was on a lad's holiday in Benidorm many years ago, <laughs> my mate got hit when he was on a, a moped by hit by a, a little 2CV and his, he had a compound fracture of his leg. Oh. And I didn't panic then. I sort of you know, went to his aid, um, went through the first aid thing that I'd done with my mum, you know, rang who we needed to ring, looked after him, took care of him. And so I, I, I go back to that and I think, well, actually, I didn't, I didn't panic and worry in that situation. I just sort of dealt with it. So hopefully I'll, um, I will channel my inner Benidorm when it's needed. <laughs> Good plan. And what do you think you're going to be like with the other celebrities? Have you met any of them yet? There's quite a variety of people, aren't there? There's like Ed Balls, Danny Dyer, a couple of Little Mix. It's quite, a, quite an unusual lineup, really. Yeah, it's, I think actually um, they've put together quite a quite a lovely mix. I mean, I know you'd expect me to say that, but um, I've met most of them. I've, I've not met Jade and Erleanne from Little Mix, but I've met everybody else. Um, and it just seem, it's a lovely mix. I think from what everybody sort of says, and I think we've all, we all sort of realise this, is we've got to we've got to get on and, and do it together. And I think we will. Um, you know, all nine of us need, want, are really keen to get to the top together and raise as much money as we can for Comet Relief. And I think I've been looking at uh, Shirley Ballas on um, Instagram. She's working like an absolute Trojan uh, on the treadmill in the gym, getting ready. We know that OC and Meniora is going to be the world's fittest human, uh, you know, two-time Super Bowl winner. I'm not sure I put Ed Balls in that category. <laughs> I think, in fact, I think I might be sharing a tent with Mr. Balls. So, wow. Uh, yeah, that, that could be some interesting nighttime discussion. Is there a natural leader? Do you think, Dan? I don't know. I, I can't speak for everyone else. I'm a sort of. I like to help others to get things done. I don't mind sort of falling in line when needed, and you know, just sort of in, encouraging. I feel. I think. I feel like I'm a good encourager. So, um, I'm not like a right. Follow me. Let's do this type of person. I'm more a sort of. Uh, let's have a look at this problem. Let's try and solve it together and and um, make sure that everybody's happy and don't leave anybody out. So I think we'll be a good mix. I think I'd be more worried about the sharing a tent bit than the climbing the mountain bit. Like, do you think you're going to be having Brexit-related pillow talk with Ed Balls? I'm going to Kilimanjaro to avoid <laughs> Brexit. <laughs> Brexit talk. I have to do it every single morning, so I hope not. I mean, I think the, the other thing is you just got to get used to, in the nicest possible way, having a poo next to somebody in a bush. Do you know what I mean? You, it's, it's, there's no toilets. There's a, I think there's a, there's a couple of very rudimentary portaloo type things that you take up there, but um, you know, that you, you wee on the way, you poo off a cliff and you just have to get on with it for eight days. So I think uh, we all know it happens. You just got to celebrate it and enjoy it and get on with it, I think. And you talked about sort of leaving the country to get rid of Brexit and not have to talk about it anymore. Just, just wondered uh, with regards to breakfast. How, how do you feel it's going? You're almost, uh, you're almost up to celebrating three years. I think Are you still enjoying it as much as you always have done. I really am. Yeah, um, I love the, I love the challenge of it. I love the fact that it's, you know, so important to so many people. I had a lovely message today talking about. Uh, we had a clip from Michelle Obama at um, the uh, Grammy Awards last night, and somebody sent me a lovely email to sort of say 
you know, she how inspirational she is for her young daughter. And in that message, she just reminded me, said, I know that your job is to present the news and read the news in the morning, but it's, you know, it's, it's more than just news. It's more than that. It's, it's the way we choose to wake up and sort of get ready for the next day. And that, it's little reminders like that, that you let into someone's bedroom or living room or kitchen, wherever it might be. And it's a really important time of the day for loads and loads of people who still watch religiously and make it part of their daily routine. I think we're very privileged to be in that position. And you're sitting next to basically superwoman, you know, Louise mentioned triathlete presenter, amazingness. I mean, what's it been like bonding with her over the last three years? She's brilliant. She's a great person to work alongside. I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know her and uh, working alongside her. She's she's formidable um, in, in, a nice, in a nice way. I mean, she's, she blows my mind with what she does with triathlons and she's constantly jumping in a river or cycling up a mountain or whatever she's, you know, preparing for next, some representing the UK in her age bracket. It's just, it's, I think it's very inspirational for a lot of, of women particularly that Louise sort of took up running and triathlon and, and now she is, you know, traveling around the world every now and again and, and representing Britain in doing it. I think that's a, that's a great story. And I think she's just a great person to sit next to in the morning and uh, for three and a quarter hours and see what's happening in the world. Do you ever get a chance to just hang out or is she always in training and you're always busy and early starts? We're actually hanging out tomorrow. We're going for lunch tomorrow. Nice. Um, so we, we, we do occasionally hang out. And that, that's, I remember the last time we had like, it was after the NTAs two years ago and we just... Um, we potted around afterwards, uh, had a drink and um, ended up buying some scotch eggs in a late night Tesco Extra. It's so. <laughs> <laughs> very rock and roll. I just wanted to ask as well, obviously, if she's she's a very close friend. On the other side of the table, I suppose you've got this foe in, in Piers Morgan. Do you, do you enjoy that sort of banter? You, you two obviously have quite a lot of uh, sort of spats, I suppose, on Twitter. No, it's all, you know, it's all good fun. I, I spend... Uh, I, I must, most of my life ignoring him and he spends most of his being obsessed with us because <laughs> <laughs> I, again in jest we have a very good relationship and, and we get on very well sort of off air um, I think it annoys him uh, immensely that despite all the effort that they put in and you know all the drama and all the headlines and everything that they create that they um, they're still get half our audience but um you know we have a very loyal audience on bbc breakfast and we're very thankful for that and i think it's great that you know people have a real choice in the morning now and obviously you like any journalist will have some interviewees that are dream sofa guests and give you everything you need and exactly the right length of answer and others that are a bit of a nightmare what what have been the most awkward moments or things that you've learned from while you've been on the show the thing i've learned the most is actually from that uh i don't know if you've been following the story but this guy that i've met in the park uh, in Sheffield about six weeks ago, a guy called Tony has been looking after a war memorial in Sheffield. And um, he's been doing it for ever since the plane came down in 1944. And uh, I was in a rush that day and I just sort of stopped and asked him if he was okay. And, you know, six weeks later, uh, we're about to organise a rare fly pass by the US Air Force to remember the 10 men who lost their lives on that day 75 years ago and also to um commemorate the silent service of tony so i think now for all the famous people that we have on the sofa i think the most important lesson i've learned is just to listen listen to the stories of people who are getting on with their business uh, amazing people quietly doing amazing things and tony is one of them and that is genuinely that's the best story i've covered 
probably in my entire journalistic career. And Dan, just one more thing. I just we like to ask our guests what they like watching themselves on TV. So when you're not on screen or not preparing, what what kind of stuff do you relax watching? I, I'm an absolute line of duty obsessive. Uh, I can't. I mean, Adrian Dunbar is just the world's great. I, I think I can't think of one TV show that wouldn't be made better with a Ted Hastings character in it. <laughs> <laughs> the three main uh, cast members in that are fantastic. I, love, I can't wait for the next series of that. Are you concerned about the possibility of Hastings being corrupt, which is what they're trying to tease at the moment, isn't it? I, I'm just not having it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not having it. Uh, he doesn't do Ben Coppers. As he, as he keeps doing that and also, who's going to interview him? Does everybody who interviews it has to be one rank higher. So exactly. I'm not, I'm, I'm, if they... That is where I will I will have to jettison the show. If they try and turn Hastings into a corrupt copper, I can't handle it. So would you be watching this at like six PM and then go to bed at seven or something? No, this is my this is the other part, Emma, that's terrible. I really I should, that's the time I should be going to bed. But I don't go to bed until half ten, twenty to eleven, and then oh. my alarm goes off at eleven minutes past three. Ouch. So it's just that I'm I don't quite know how my brain uh, is still working but it was all right for margaret thatcher (laughs) (laughs) well we're very grateful that you stayed awake long enough to speak to us when are you off dan 21st of february is when we leave and then we start climbing on the i think the morning of the 23rd it's six days up two days down and i think um if you go on uh if you type comic relief kilimanjaro or return to Killy into any search engine it will take you to a donate page and then nearer the time uh, we'll give you um, a text message number, uh, one of those five-digit numbers, which you can donate five or ten pounds. Well, me and Jeffers will definitely be sponsoring you. Thank you so much, Dan. Good luck with it, Dan. Thank you. Uh, all the best for the podcast as well. Well, let's turn our attention to Netflix now. A couple of amazing shows on there. Let's kick off with Russian Doll, which lots of people are chatting about. Jeffers, what did you make of it? Yeah, I'm not really sure if I love this or not. Um, I watched three episodes over the weekend. I think... First of all, I'd start off by saying I think it's one of those where you only want to watch one episode at a time. Um, They're only 24 minutes long, so it's perfect for a commute. And I think, yeah, one day, one episode is the way to go. Yeah, I don't think we should say too much, otherwise we're going to spoil it. But it's basically like a modern version of Groundhog Day. The main character, Nadia, her life is sort of on a loop. And it's her birthday, a 36th birthday party. And she basically keeps dying and and she's trying to work out why and how. And I do think it's different to Groundhog Day in the sense that that night is sort of on a loop and it's not Groundhog Day because every night seems to be different. And that's where I think it's quite clever and it and it changes and each episode does change. But I still think for some people there might be a bit too much repetition. What, what did you think? Well, I loved the main actress and the main character, Natasha Leone, who was in uh, Orange is the New Black, plays Nadia. And she was awesome. You know, she was unconventional and sassy and had curly hair and was just brilliant. And she's in New York and it looks cool and everything's cool. And I I really wanted to be part of that. I really invested in that. Then after about 20 minutes, I was thinking, I'm not really sure there's enough to make me stick with this. But then as I kept watching the episodes, I was so intrigued as to why her life was on this loop. She wonders if it's drugs. She's not sure what's going on. And and now I just have to watch. I'm about four episodes in and I just have to see to the end because I need to know why she's in this loop. But I don't know. The character's great. The setting's great. And the concept does make you want to keep watching. But considering that Amy Poehler is on the creative team for this, who is just a genius and was in Parks and Rec, she's one of my favourite people that's ever lived. I I don't love it quite as much as I want to love it. 
Yeah, I think that's it. Um, and also, if you get past the first episode into the second one, I agree with you. You're going to finish it. I'm three episodes in, and you can't sort of. You, you, if you've invested that much time in it and, and you've got used to the, I guess, the format and the sense of the loop and the process of it being a bit Groundhog Day, you feel like you've, you've got to see it through. Otherwise, you're just going to be forever thinking, oh, what? how does it work out? How does it turn out? But I do think there'll be a fair few people who might get, say, 10 or 15 minutes into it and they'll be like, this is too, you know, I've had enough of this and they're just going to turn it off. So I think it's, a yeah, I'm not sure everyone's going to love it. I also just love her accent. I love how she says cockroach. Yeah. What a, just great. Amazing. Okay, well, let's move our attention on to Abducted in Plain Sight. This is a documentary. It's quite an unbelievable true life story. It's 90 minutes, but it is revelation after revelation. What did you think of this, Jeffers? I thought it was brilliant. Um, it, I do like tend to like these true crime stories. And um, it's just really shocking that it could really happen, that the whole process could happen. It, again, a bit like with Russian Doll, you don't want to give the whole game away, but it's um, a guy called Robert Birchtold. He is uh, uh, he befriends a family he lives nearby and um, basically ends up um, abusing and um, abducting a young girl from the family. But at the same time, he's sort of also involved in other members of the family. If I tell you there's aliens involved as well and... Just a lot of sort of incredible stories that that seem to be believed and a lack of sort of um, the family telling the police anything. It's just it's just an incredible, incredible story that it could, you know, that the fact that it's real life and and everyone involved in in the process uh, of sort of giving up their time and do talk and sort of contribute to the documentary. It's just an incredible story from from the 70s. Well, he's a predatory paedophile who is obviously extremely manipulative. So, you know, that you know, victims are going to be manipulated by him. But when you listen to the parents talk about how they were befriended by him, how they allowed their daughter to spend time with him, even after she was kidnapped once, she was then kidnapped again. This is, it's unbelievable. And you just want to scream at the TV as you're watching this unfold. But it's an amazing set of interviews where they've, you know, set this up and people have talked very honestly and openly. But it is just as a viewer it's it's a very difficult watch because you just think oh my goodness what why and one of the reasons i wanted us to talk about this was just on social media you've just got anyone who's watched this their main sort of comment on this like what how and the more questions than answers at the end that that's one criticism i have seen is that there's lots of things that happen in in the documentary that aren't really explained um the girl that went missing is called jan broberg she goes missing at 1.4 i think 30 days before the police are contacted. You've also got her parents who end up getting romantically involved with the guy that's abducted her, which is unbelievable on all levels. And uh, as you say, the stuff, very bad stuff happens with uh, with B, Robert Birchold. And rather than sort of cutting him out of the whole uh, family, but also out of the whole town, you would think, he manages to sort of come back and get involved again. And the sort of nightmare continues for like a period of multiple years. And then they... They straight away call the FBI every like after this this period of waiting. Every American cop show I've seen, you approach the normal police and then the FBI get drafted in. So does anyone have the phone number of the FBI? That I just thought was a really weird detail. That they all, just gloss over. And there's a, I mean, there's loads of details that are just so strange. There's a call when Jan Broberg is missing, uh, and she calls the family home. At that point, their phones are being tapped, so they play that call back, and they just don't sound. Um, 
you know, desperate. They, they they sound very pleased to see it. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, they would be screaming if if in that situation. I sort of think in terms of my own family, there would be tears. People would be like, "Where are you? Where?" Are you? The, the tone of the phone call is so strange. The parents of Jan, I just find incredible. I can't really get my head round them as people. Um, that, yeah, it's, it's it's just an incredible story. It's ninety minutes and. You, I sort of feel like they could make a follow-up uh, 90 minutes long just explaining everything else. There's lots of questions at the end. And honestly, if you haven't seen it, it's the kind of thing that if this was a drama, a commissioner would go through it and go, no, no, that's too unbelievable. That, yeah, too that wouldn't fetched. happen. You can't do that. But it did happen. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. I mean, the first 10 minutes I was thinking, oh, is this going to be too grim to watch? But then you're so wrapped up in anger and disbelief at the family that I think it sort of takes that grimness away a little bit. So that's Russian Doll and Abducted in Plain Sight, both of which are available on Netflix right now. It's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. Last week, Faye Ripley recommended Summer Heights High. I know that went down well. And this week, it's the turn of our old friend, Derma O'Leary. Let's find out what his box set to watch before you die is. Hey, I'm Derma O'Leary, and my box set to watch before you die is arguably, predictably, Game of Thrones. If you get scared of fantasy then don't turn off because it's not really about fantasy. Yes, it's in a fictional world and yes, there are dragons and yes, there's mysticism to it, but it's really an incredible dissection of loyalty, power, politics, gameplay, love, obsession and duty. I, Eddard, the House Stark, Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North, sentence you to die. I saw what I saw. I saw the White Walkers. You understand why I did it? He was a deserter. The man who passes the sentence should swing the sword. So it's set in a, in a mythical land of Westeros, but just think Shakespeare coming to life. That's really what Game of Thrones is. It's about four different families vying for uh, one crown and how random sets of events trigger wars and change people's lives and you become obsessed with the different characters. Lord Eddard Stark, I would name you the Hand of the King. I have no choice. That's what you tell your family. Tell yourselves. That's what men always say when honor calls. You do have a choice, and you've made it. Put it this way, when I watch drama, when I almost mourn a scene being over, and then through a 10-minute scene being over, and then the next scene starts, and then suddenly, before I know it, 30 seconds in, I'm now obsessing about another uh, scene, and then I mourn when that scene's over. That's how good Game of Thrones is. I was trained to kill my enemies. As was I. You never worried. You were never afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Chosen your opponents wisely. I have a knack for it. Perhaps I was wrong to distrust you. Distrusting me was the wisest thing you've done since you climbed off your horse. Getting it all over is keeping the peace. It's fear. Fear and blood. Categorically, you have to watch it before you die. What a choice, Game of Thrones. Probably the most popular TV show in the world, apart from in the Jeffers household. I mean, I'm surprised we got this far without someone choosing it, but I've got to say... Yeah, I, I haven't watched it, which is, a as a TV writer, is a pretty big flaw in my armoury sort of thing. I guess he mentioned there, if you're scared of fancy, I guess that is 
that is it. It's a fantasy drama, and I'm a bit scared of the sort of Dungeons and Dragons element of it. It feels a bit Games Workshop to me, and I've just never really got into it. And the longer it goes on, obviously, the more you've got to catch up. Um, I think we're up to 67 episodes now across seven series, and it just then feels like this huge juggernaut, this huge thing that I have to catch up on it if I'm going to start it. It feels like a big investment. What What about you? Have you watched much of it? Well, I'm not as obsessed as the rest of the world seems to be. I've sort of dipped in and out of it, mainly for work, actually. But I think most people love it in the way that Dermot loves it. People are obsessed with it. it is, it's, isn't it the most illegally downloaded show in the world? It's the most talked about show. I think it's the most watched show as well. There's also uh, the, the small matter of 47 Emmys. I think that's probably a record. Um, so yeah, it's absolutely incredible. And people do also get up at crazy times to watch it. I know when it comes back, uh, I think it's on the 15th of April, it's going to be simulcast in uh, both the UK and the US. So you're going to be able to watch here at two o'clock in the morning if you want to watch it at the same time as everyone in the States. And there will be people that, that w- will stay up and watch it, which, um, you know, there's not many TV shows you could say that about, I don't think. And they're all feature length episodes this time around, aren't they? So it's going to be a massive, massive event as if it wasn't anyway. But I know lots of people are looking forward to it. So that's Game of Thrones. We should watch it because Dermot told us to. So let's, we, we will. Let's try and catch up on it before the final series drops. We'll be hearing from another famous face from the telly to tell us their box set to watch before you die next week. We're almost out of time for this week's episode, Sad Times. But as ever, we need to scan across our EPGs and kind of hazard a guess at what we'll be talking about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Jeffers, this is my mum's favourite section. You've got to do us proud. Go, next week. Next week, first of all, a drama on Sky One called Curfew. Sort of crazy streetcar racing. Sean Bean, Billy Zane, Adrian Lester. I think that'll be pretty good. The other big event, really, we've got to talk about is the Brit Awards. Jack Whitehall's back. I don't think it's quite as controversial these days as it used to be, or so much appointment to view, but I think still a lot of people are watching. Are you a Brits fan? Yeah, I used to be. But what I used to think of as anarchic and exciting, I now just find a bit annoying. But that's probably my age. Right, what about next month? Next month, I want to talk about Comet Relief. We've already mentioned it with Dan, of course. But there is this Four Weddings and a Funeral reunion, which is going to air on Red Nose Day, uh, which is March the 15th. Obviously following Love Actually. Why they would pick Four Weddings over Notting Hill, I don't know. And next year? Next year, I want to talk about a new BBC drama called The Barking Murders. The main thing that's interesting about this is they've just announced that Sheridan Smith and Stephen Merchant are going to be the two lead wow. roles. What a combo. It's incredible. And also, I think it's a big role for Stephen Merchant. He's going to play the main character, really, who's a serial killer. And it's just quite a serious role for Stephen. I can't really imagine him playing those sort of roles. He tends to play it for laughs. So I'm really intrigued to see how that turns out. On a lighter note, Channel 4 have also announced that they're going to commission uh, Judith Kerr's children's book the tiger who came to tea and that's yes. going to be their christmas 2019 uh, animation so that should be brilliant love the tiger who came to tea that's my favorite book from my whole childhood you know forget the gruffalo not interested tiger that came to tea this is going to be brilliant right lots for us to keep an eye on there but that's all we've got time for this week this has been the series linked podcast thanks to everyone who's left a five star rating keep them coming if you would and a nice little review if you wouldn't mind And be sure to subscribe so our next episode is ready for you on Tuesday morning. Until then, bye-bye. See you next week. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? 
You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from. Some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's Al. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.